if you're just joining us, last Sunday was Vision Sunday, and we had a great time here. We unveiled the spiritual direction for 2023 here at Trinity, which is right now counts forever. And we looked at scripture in John 9, where Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do his works. We're going to continue in that thought this morning. Um, if you are joining us online, part of our digital family, we're so glad and we're thankful you're tuning in. Let's give it up for somebody that's tuning in today, maybe for the first time. We're so thankful for you. And before we read this scripture together, I just want to tell you that um, the Bible says a lot about vision. Last week we said vision is the ability to see what you can't see, right? It's like faith. God gives you the ability to see what you can't see by sight. And uh, Proverbs 28, 19 says, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. Cast off restraint. No vision leads to apathy. Apathy leads to depression. It also says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Boundaryless living without vision. When you don't have a destination, you don't need a guardrail. You don't need any rules. You don't need any direction. Uh, But we know God has a direction for all of us, a destiny for all of us. That's not what the enemy sets. And we're going to continue talking about that a little bit this morning um, and look at John chapter 9 where the bold text is. Let's read aloud. I'll read the normal text. Okay. It says, Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, Go, wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Let's read. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. Let's read. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man, Jesus, comes from. Why, that's very strange, the formerly blind man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. You can't see it. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. And let's read. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And later it says, then Jesus tells the man, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Lord, anoint this word to our hearts. Let us be good soil to receive it today. And God, I pray that you would speak to us about the ways you heal us and about the circumstances we're walking through and that you have purpose in it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, who would have thought that healing someone's blindness could be so controversial? Last weekend, a YouTube video caused a firestorm online. Jimmy Donaldson, a.k.a. Mr. Beast, posted a video, a compilation video, of 1,000 people being healed, cured, 
of their blindness caused by cataracts. Cataracts cause curable blindness. In fact, about a 10-minute surgery can give sight to someone blind with cataracts. Mr. Beast, if you know him, he's the most subscribed to YouTuber on the planet. He has 131 million followers. He generates so much money per video. He usually gives tens of thousands of dollars away in every single video. Most are silly. Most are nonsense. Shooting a cannon at a refrigerator and um, all all kinds of stuff like that. Um, Decorating a house with a million Christmas lights. Um, But he also does a lot of philanthropic work. He keeps about 10 homeless shelters stocked and running plants trees, removes plastic from the ocean, and rebuilds homes after natural disasters happen. But in this video, uh, it was very purposeful. He uh, partnered with Sea International and provided this surgery, paid for this surgery for a thousand low-income residents who couldn't afford it um, in the U.S., Jamaica, Honduras, Namibia, Mexico, Indonesia, and Brazil. Um, This this is such a a no-brainer when we think about Uh, This surgery being done for people, it gives people sight, it restores them to the workforce, and there's there's many benefits uh, to it. And while championing this issue of curable blindness being treated, he posted this video of people seeing many for the first time, and a huge backlash came, as anything on the internet, uh, when it's posted on the internet. But uh, in this video, the comments started to roll in, should you benefit from doing good? Was your good motivated by compassion or was it motivated by more views and more subscriptions and generating money through your YouTube channel? Is it really charity and benevolence if it's uploaded for clout? Is this unethically exploiting participants for personal gain? His commercialism is funding more and more acts of kindness, but people said you should have done this and not posted it. it there was a lot of response to that. The Uh, one of the surgeons, the ophthalmologist, eye surgeons that did um, a lot of these surgeries came to his defense and he said, listen, I've been on the mountaintop saying that curable blindness not being treated is a moral ill in our society. And I've been shouting for years and no one listens to me, but this one 24-year-old YouTuber made one video and now the whole world's talking about it. He says, I appreciate him using his megaphone for us, but all the, the back and forth and there's there's so much, uh, so much discussion about it this week. I, um, I was thinking about that this week as we approach this text where Jesus heals a blind man and it creates about 42 verses of controversy in John chapter 9. The controversy was a little bit different in Jesus' case. Um, we know that Jesus keeps healing people on the Sabbath. He keeps doing it over and over again. He healed a uh, man with a shriveled hand. We talked about that this summer in the Chosen series, didn't we? We talked about him as the Lord of the Sabbath. He healed uh, another man who was crippled, and now he heals a blind man. He is breaking the tradition of the Pharisees, called the Halakhic. It's uh, a bunch of mizvots, a bunch of rules that the Pharisees have added in to their interpretation of the law rules that God gave them. He keeps breaking it. And, um, and he's not breaking God's law, but he's breaking the Pharisees' interpretation and the Pharisees' tradition, and he doesn't fit in their system. Um, we, see, we see the blessing for the blind man. This week, I'm watching that YouTube video, none of those thousand people were complaining. 
None of them were complaining whether or not uh, this YouTuber gets ads and gets money out of this video. They weren't complaining. They were thankful that they could see and had sight again. We know that this blind man could not enter the inner court of the temple. He had to stay in the outer court. He didn't get the full experience of his relationship with God in the Jewish system because of his disability. We know that this man had been degraded his entire life. We talked about that Sunday. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Clearly, this man is either a sinner or the recipient of the curse of sin. God is not blessing him. He must not honor God. We also see that no man with congenital blindness had ever been healed. No, he, he said it in that scripture we read today. No one in the history of the world who's been blind from birth has ever been cured, has ever been healed of their blindness. It's likely that this man considered himself unhealable. Jesus has done ministry in Jerusalem before. Jesus has been in Jerusalem touching the sick, healing people. Did this man never go because he never thought that he could be healed? That his condition could be touched by a savior that had power to bring him sight? And we know that Jesus was on the run. The murderous animosity of, the en- of his enemies was all over Jerusalem. They had just tried to stone him. First, they argued with him for all of John chapter 8. And once their arguments all failed, their words all failed, they picked up rocks as their final argument to stone Jesus. And he slipped through the crowd. And I love that, that no words and no stones can penetrate the presence of God that is around you as you're doing the work of God. Jesus' work was not yet finished. He could not have been killed. God has work for you to do, and he will preserve your work with his presence. It doesn't matter what works are against you, what words are against you, what stones are against you. When you're doing the work of the Lord, he will get the glory he desires from your work, and he will not get anything less. He will not let it end before he is done with your service. Jesus is walking around secure and fearless and unharmed in a hostile environment because he's not walking by fear. He's walking by faith. I want to share some thoughts from this passage with you today, and it directly relates to our conversation last Sunday. When we said right now counts forever. When we talked about how it's day, wherever you're at in your day on this planet, and that we must, not ought to, not intend to, not should, but we must. No matter what other work we leave undone in this life, we must do the works of him who sent Jesus, of the Father. So my first thought today is for you, as we kind of interpret this scripture through the story of the blind man, my first uh, thought for you today is don't miss your mud. Don't miss your mud. Jesus spits on the ground and makes clay, makes mud out of the mixture of the saliva and the soil, the spit and the soil together. Saliva, science has revealed, is much more than water. It's packed with proteins. Your saliva, I think I used to think about this the wrong way. I used to think that our spit was just so nasty that our mouths are just a cesspool of bacteria because our spit is so gross. That's not true. That's not true. Our mouth is a cesspool of bacteria. But our saliva controls that environment It actually controls the microbes of bacteria to make your mouth an inhabitable inhabitable environment uh, for your teeth, for your tongue, for your cheeks, for your gums. If you didn't have spit, um, if you just had maybe like water, 
your teeth would be dissolved completely or down to nubs by the age of 20. Your spit is actually very important in the way that God has created it. Um, It keeps your teeth from dissolving. It helps heal mouth wounds. Your mouth wounds will heal faster than any other wound on your body. I found this out uh, firsthand uh, two New Year's Eves ago. We were in um, Indiana doing a big party with Candace's family and um, all the cousins are just sprinting around, you know, pure chaos. And, um, and Saja's running around with him and he trips and he goes face first into the corner of a table. And he knocked out two more of his teeth. He's missing most of them at this point, but he knocked out two more that night and he had a gash in his gums. And it was, you know, it was, it was a bloodbath. There was, there was blood everywhere. There's screaming and tears and we're holding him in. And then I faced the issue of small town Indiana oral surgeons and dentists that were open the week between Christmas and New Year's. There were none. There were none that were open. And so we talked to the local hospital and and just said like, hey, what should we do? How bad is this? Does he need stitches? And they said, actually, and it looked pretty bad, said most of this will be healed by the morning. I was amazed. I was amazed. I said, yep, the mouth wounds will heal faster than any other wound on the body. Um, you know, your body, your salivary glands produce two to three pints of spit per day. And if they stop, you're in trouble. Speaking is a challenge. Swallowing is a challenge. Cavities, fissured tongues, yeast problems. You can't eat a cracker. Um, did you know that there's a group of scientists, they call themselves, they, they call themselves the salivation army. I thought that was clever. <laughs> that is, they're, they're studying the way that saliva breaks down bacteria in your mouth, and they're actually trying to use saliva to develop other um, uh, cures for different sicknesses and illnesses, bacteria and viruses, based on studying our saliva. It's important. Um, There's a lot more I could say about it today, Uh, but what I, I want you to understand is that we're coming to an understanding culturally of our spit. It's actually a lot closer to the ancient Near East understanding of spit. When we think about spit um, in this story, it's a, in our modern context, it's controversial. Spit is one of the grossest, most disgusting, cruel things you could do to somebody else. In the ancient culture that Jesus was walking around in, that was not the case. Um, in fact, Jesus uses spit, and again, this is my king and your savior that we're talking about. He uses spit over and over again. It is not a hate crime in the miracles Jesus uses his saliva in. It is not mean. It is the means of mercy in people's lives. It is not nastiness, but compassion. And um, in Mark 7, he heals a man's mouth and ears by what we would say in my family is a wet willy by using spit on his fingers in a man's ear and he heals him. He opens them up. And in Mark chapter eight, there's a man who is blind and Jesus puts spit on his eyes and and he has a progressive healing of, he, he sees what looks like trees walking around and it's not clear and he asks him and he says, it's still dim, Jesus. And, And he's honest about his condition and then Jesus totally heals him. And then in John chapter nine, he makes this, soil, spit, mud concoction. You know, in his culture, uh, saliva was understood as medicinal. Every morning, mothers would take their spit, put it on their fingers, and rub their children's eyes 
every single morning. This was controversial then because of the mud, not because of the spit. This, uh, this thing that Jesus does with the soil and the spit is called kneading. And kneading was illegal on the Sabbath day in Jewish culture. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But it's important to see here as we understand these different instruments and methods Jesus uses in healings, that he doesn't need them. They're for us, not for him. Jesus doesn't need all of that. One word, that's all it takes. He, t- he speaks to the centurion whose child is sick and he does a Bluetooth kind of Wi-Fi healing, long distance. One word and that child is healed. He, he can do it in one touch. In fact, he doesn't need one touch. You can touch him. In fact, you don't have to touch him. You can touch his garment. You don't even need to touch his garment. You can touch the hem of his garment. Jesus doesn't need all of that. He uses those things for us. He's trying to do something and communicate something to, to this man based on what this man needed. It's for you. Jesus asks often in, in these healing situations, he asks questions. Jesus doesn't need the questions. He already knows the answer. The questions even are for you. Um, there's two reasons for the mud in this story. First of all, it's to stir this man's faith, this man who thought he was unhealable. It's to give him hope and expectation because uh, of the connotation in the culture when Jesus makes this mixture and he applies it to this man's eyes, this man immediately thinks, is this man going to heal me? Is this man healing me right now? Note in the scripture, Jesus never said, I'm going to heal you. When he sends him to the pool to wash, he never said, and then you'll be able to see. He doesn't promise that. He never even says to this man, hey, I'm the rabbi Jesus. Have you heard of me? Here's my resume. No. But he stirs this man's faith. And I think the second reason for the mud is to test his faith. Will he obey? He could turn immediately and just ask for water and wash his eyes right there and not do this 70-yard march in the dark. The pool of Siloam was about 70 yards from the temple. It was the closest public water supply to the temple. Um, It was developed by King Hezekiah. It's really brilliant to provide drinking water and bathing water in the middle of the old city of Jerusalem. And in fact, it was lost. And then in 2004, there were some construction workers doing work in Israel. And what do you know? They come across these steps that are going down, and they uncover this uh, pool of Siloam. You can visit it today. Just in the last 20 years, they've uncovered it. You can visit it today if you go to visit the Holy Land. Um, But he sends them on this 70-yard march in the darkness. 70-yard march. I want to speak to you today, and you may be thinking about people in your life circumstances in your life, a situation you're in right now, and you may be thinking, God, why did you put this mud on me? Why did you put this mud on my life? See, God is going to use that very thing, that very thing that's your struggle, your trial, your issue, your problem. He's going to use that very thing to give you spiritual sight, to give you a blessing. He's trying to use right now mud in your life to create forever blessings for you. He wants to grow you and develop you in certain ways, and he needs some mud to do it. He wants us to understand what the mud in our life is for. It's a test. It's a test. 
He wants to see what you'll do with your mud in your life. So I want to tell you, church, today, don't miss your mud. Don't miss it. Jesus is trying to do more than just give people with disabilities abilities. He's doing more than that. And if you you look at the context of of the four Gospels, you see many, many acts where Jesus' heart is bent towards people with disabilities and empowering them and giving ability. But if you look deeper, he's not giving ability, only ability people. He's giving stability to people. People who had no standing before God. People who had a life of instability. People who, who had no understanding spiritually, had no access to redemption. He is trying to give them stability before God in heaven forever. He wants to say to every single one of them, today you'll be with me in paradise on your last day. He's doing more than just giving ability to those with disability. He's giving stability to those with instability. And that's what Jesus is doing in each of our lives. He's using your mud. It's not just to give you more abilities, more abilities, more abilities. He is using your mud to train you, to teach you, to develop you, to mature you, so that you have even greater standing before him, so that you have even more confidence, more trust, purer worship, so that he can get more and more glory from your life. I was thinking about this man, and in that moment, he must be thinking, you know, Jesus didn't give me clarity. He gave me an obstacle. Gave me an obstacle. He had no eyesight, but his eyesight got worse in that moment because now there's mud on top of his eyes. Jesus didn't give me an immediate touch. He gave me a 70-yard march in the darkness. That's what it must have felt like for that man in that moment when Jesus could have touched him and healed him. But instead, he gave him a chore. He gave him a trip. But then in his obedience, can you imagine that moment? Quickly, right now, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now, take your hand. Keep your eyes closed. Take your hand and cover your eyes. And then uncover them. Cover them and uncover them. See that difference? There's about 3% of, uh, of the light that we perceive. About 3% makes it through your eyelids. So you kind of have that moment when you see the light through your eyelids. Can you imagine that man? washing the mud off of his eyes and all of a sudden his eyelids don't look the same all of a sudden he sees about three percent of light on the other side of it he begins to open them and sure there's probably some some dirt there still and his eyelashes are all caked and and he just begins to open them he sees colors for the first time this water he's feeling everything he's felt he's perceiving it for the first time that's how it's going to be for you and me in heaven when we arrive and all of a sudden behind our eyelids it looks a little bit different and we open them up to see Jesus for the first time just little by little by little by little that's what this man must have experienced in that moment he sees the difference man I just love to imagine that scene when your right now faith gets you to your forever blessings that's going to be quite a moment My life was like a blind march, Jesus, but I made it to the destination. I wanted to see, but instead I got sent, right? The the pool of Siloam is called sent. It means sent. I wanted to see, and I got sent. I thought Jesus was going to open my eyes, but instead he told me to go. He sent me on a journey. 
You're right now, mud is making forever blessings for you. The question is, will you trust what he is saying before you can see what he is doing? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith is becoming so rich, so valuable, priceless, of greater worth than gold through your mud. Second thought I want to give you today is that your right now will return. It says, the man went, the man washed, and he came back seeing. Somebody say, came back seeing. Somebody say it better, came back seeing. Came back seeing. I love that. You know, faith in its embryonic stages is all about steps. There's steps that go with your faith. It's developed through the steps. The Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. It doesn't mean you will see the steps. It doesn't mean that the the steps will be all lined out for you, one by one by one by one. It just says that they are ordered by the Lord. That means you have to depend on the Lord. You have to lean on the Lord. You have to trust in the Lord because you're not giving yourself steps. He's giving you those steps. He's ordering them. It always involves steps. You just have to keep walking. It tells the blind man to go. Go where, Jesus? I'm blind. Just If, if you could take a, a moment and again, close your eyes wherever you're at in the room. Close your eyes. Maybe you're watching online. Now imagine, just like this, walking to your car. If you're tuning in online, imagine walking to your car, wherever it's at. If you're listening in your car, imagine walking somewhere else. It's difficult. What Jesus called this man to, you can open your eyes. But what happens once he gets there? Once he walks step by step, feeling it inch by inch out, and he gets there and he washes He comes back seeing. There's a return on your right now. It's going to be different than the struggle right now. It's going to be different than the difficult journey step by step in faith. He never told him he'd be healed. And and imagine this. Without this man's obedience, this is just his confusing story about an unhelpful and cruel stranger. Without this man's obedience, there is no healing. Without this man's obedience, what testimony is there from this event? And can I tell you, not only without his obedience, is it just his confusing story? Without your obedience, that's all your story is. Think about that for a moment. Yeah, there was spit. Yeah, there was soil. But without the steps that he took, this healing doesn't happen. This obedience doesn't produce that fruit. This obedience to the, to the outside perspective is just a very, very confusing story about a man getting dirt on his face. Our stories can look like that when we're disobedient. When we're living a life that, that really God can't use to preach his gospel that doesn't reflect his glory. Our lives can be a confusing story as well, but 
When we take that scripture we talked about last week and and understand as long as it is a day, I have to be about his works. I have to be obedient to his will. He has holy tasks for me to do. And, And when I do these good works, it displays the glory of God to those in this world. That word Jesus uses is phanerao. It means displayed. And in another way we say it is to make clear or known or manifest or graspable. Our lives doing God's works in obedience, in faith, is to make God graspable for the people around us. And isn't that what ministry is? It's his divinity in our dirt. I got the soil, Jesus. And God, I'm I'm ready to take the steps. I just need some of you. Just mix some of you. That's what we say when we come here to Trinity on Sunday mornings, isn't it? God, I, I got the soil. I know who I am. I know you made me out of the dust of the ground. I got, this, I got the dirt, and I'm ready to take those steps. I'm ready to be obedient, Jesus. I just need a little bit of you today. I need a little bit of you. Give us more of you, Lord. And when we come to him in that way, when we say, I need you, Lord, he's always going to ask us, can I need you? Mm, let's spell that word different. Say, I need you, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, can I need you? Can I rub who I am into you? Um, You know, ministry is the mixture of his restoring power and redeeming power in the clay jars of humanity. This this story gives us the, the equation. It's God plus us plus obedience. It's spit plus soil plus steps. So often we say that, God, I need you, I need you, I'm blind, I have this situation, I have this circumstance, I need you. And God is saying, yeah, but can I use this situation to need you, to work in you? Will you give me access to developing your heart, your spiritual formation throughout this trial? And um, I, I wanna share a third thought with you today, but before we go there, I just feel on my heart today that there's some folks in the room And even last week, as we talked about right now, counts forever. It was a convicting day for you because you're on the sidelines. You're not actively serving. You know God's given you gifts, but you're in a season where you're not at work. You're not doing the works of him. You don't know uh, how you're using your purpose for God's glory, what you're doing for the glory of God in this season. I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're in a healing season. Maybe you've been burned. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been broken but you can't stay in that season forever. You can't stay in that season forever. You only have one life. You only have one day, sunrise to sunset. And God, it is not his will to keep you on the shelf, to keep you on the disabled list, to keep you on that injured list forever. That is not God's desire. He's here to heal you. He wants to minister your need to your needs. He wants to make you whole, but he will not allow you to stay on that sideline forever. Um, the third thought I, I want to give you today is that s- spiritual vision causes personal collisions. Personal collisions. Um, a lot of them. And that's kind of how it happens in the story, right? Uh, there is a, um, there's a collision with Jesus that brings about vision. And that vision leads the man to a decision to believe in Jesus. And that decision to believe in Jesus creates it doesn't create division, it reveals division. And even, isn't that even what Jesus said? 
He said, then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. He didn't say, and make other people blind. Jesus isn't making people blind, but he's showing those who think they can see that they are blind. He's revealing the division, that there are those that see and those that can't. And when we come to Christ, the light of the world, we understand who that is. And that's what happens in this man's story. The, the Pharisees are interrogating him and interrogating him. They call him in twice. He, he jokes with, he's getting sarcastic and indignant with them because they're not getting it. They're not getting it. They want him to say that, that Jesus is a sinner. They want him to say that, that Jesus had no power from God and he won't do it. He said, hey, one thing I know, I was blind, now I see. And certainly the work that's happened in me is of God, is the power of God. And they keep asking him questions and he says, hey, what don't you get? How many times do I gotta tell you? Do you wanna become his disciples as well? He gets sarcastic with them, I love that. He has a bravery to his simple confession. He has a confidence to his simple testimony of who Jesus is, that he is the light of the world and he is the life of the world. And as he's sharing that and sharing what happened to him, he gets a little bit brazen. He gets a little bit bold. He is, he is taking the foolishness that would argue against the world. He's taking the blindness of the world and he's just saying, listen, this is simple. This is simple. They say, we know this man is a sinner. And the man says, well, I know that I was blind and now I can see. And that's what has to happen. When you have a collision with Jesus that brings vision into your life, there is going to be, there's going to be conflict and disputes with those around you that are unbelieving, that are actively rejecting the Lord. And you have to take all the we knows of culture, all the we knows of this world. We know that man's not the way. We know that that isn't, isn't the path. We know that that's fine for you, but that's not the right way for us. You're going to have to take all the we knows of the culture and stand on I know. I know what he has done for me. I know he is my redeemer. I know he did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I know when I was sitting outside of the temple begging for my own life, for my whole life, and my parents couldn't heal me, and the doctors couldn't heal me, and their spit didn't have anything in it that was divine, and the, the, the Pharisees were comfortable with me because I fit into their system as a disabled, blind person begging. They didn't heal me. And I met Jesus. And all of a sudden, he did for me what no one else can do. And I don't fit into your system anymore. I fit when I was disabled. I fit when I was broken. And you have friends like that in your life. When you hated who you were, when you were so empty, when everything in you was twisted and confused and you were tormented, the world was fine with you. You had friends that were fine with you. You were literally dying and you, you had friends that were fine with that. But when Jesus showed up and he brought new life and he gave you a word to speak and he had holy tasks for you to do and you're living differently now, some friends canceled you immediately, wrote you off, just like they canceled this man in the synagogue and they cast him out. They excommunicated him from the religion of the day. They expelled him and that means he's probably not involved in any business in society. It could mean that he's no longer welcome in his parents' home. That's why Jesus follows up with this man and he goes and finds him. After he's given his bold testimony, he goes and finds this man and he says, 
Do you believe in the Son of Man? Actually, in the Greek, he puts a double emphasis in there. He puts su, the, the pronoun in there. He says, do you yourself believe in the Son of Man? Not the culture, not your, not, forget all that. Do you yourself believe in the Son of Man? And it's just, it's comical and it's beautiful what the man says. He says, who is he? I haven't seen him. Because again, Jesus healed him. He didn't know. He hadn't seen Jesus. And he said, I who am speaking to you am he. And immediately the man falls down and worships him. What a moment. There's a reason Jesus asks you so directly, so doubly emphatically, do you yourself believe in the Son of Man? And that's because your personal decision is going to lead you into opposition, oppression, and rejection. You have to know that you know that you know. And if you're on the fence today, I pray you would hear Jesus' voice asking you, forget about your family, forget about your friends for a minute, forget about your culture. Do you yourself believe in the Son of Man? Do you yourself believe that redemption is found only in him? That you can't have one foot on the world and one foot on him and have stability. You have to be all in. Do you yourself believe that even if you get excommunicated, even if you get expelled from every circle you're in, that you'll stay with Jesus? Do you yourself believe? It's important. The Pharisees doubted the healing of his physical blindness. And then some Pharisees witnessed the reception of his uh, healing of his spiritual blindness when he falls down and worships Jesus, and they reject that. They doubt his physical healing. They reject his spiritual healing. You got some people that are going to be immediately negative in your life every time God does something in you, every time you share your testimony. You know, there's, there's some people who light up a room when they walk out of it. There may be some negative voices in your life, and I want you to understand this. When we read that this man was blind, that there's blindness in the story, a blind person is a vulnerable person. They have to depend on other people's voices in their lives. And you may have been living your whole life up to this point with some of the wrong voices telling you you're not good enough, you can't do it, you'll never be enough, people telling you in your life you're not smart enough, you'll never amount to anything. You, you may have the wrong voices leading you astray to this point in your life, and you need to hear the voice of Jesus, even before you see what he's doing, trust his voice. Later you'll see him. Later you'll see him. But trust the voice of Jesus who's speaking life over you. He's speaking purpose into your story. He's saying your right now, your belief right now will return to you. Your right now will come back with forever blessings. Your right now mud has purpose. Don't give up. Your right now mud that got slung on you, that's fine, but you can't stay on the sidelines forever because God is going to use it and teach you through it. He's got purpose for you. He's got purpose. Let him need you. Let him need you. He's going to use your situation to teach you, to grow you, to bring about blessings for others. I invite you to stand wherever you're at in the place today if you're watching online. I invite you to get communion elements. Our communion's an open communion at Trinity. That means that you don't have to be a member to take communion here. You don't have to be a part of this group or that group. You just have to belong to Jesus. Confess Christ. 
admitted, can't do it on your own. Without him, I'm full of instability. I can't stand before God. Believe that he has the power, just like we sang earlier. Power in the name of Jesus. No other name has to heal you, to redeem your soul, to resurrect your soul, to stand with him forever. And just choose him. God, not only am I going to believe that you take care of my sin and you overcome the enemy, but I choose to follow you as your disciple every day. You make that decision in this place. You can participate in communion with us because you're part of the family and the family eats at the table of the Lord. Um, I just want to pray right now for anybody that's ready to make that choice today. That today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day that Jesus spoke to you. To get up, go wash. You, you feel him. You feel his presence on you right now, just like he put the soil on the, on the man. He put the mud on. You feel him. I ask you to say yes in obedience today. Yeah, but I don't understand what Jesus is going to do with my future. I don't understand. You don't need to understand it all. But if you understand that he holds the power of redemption and healing that no one else does, and you're willing to choose him today, I invite you to receive Jesus today. And then we're going to receive communion together. And if you're, if you're there today, rededicating your life to Jesus or you're receiving him, I ask you to pray this prayer in your heart as I pray over us. Jesus, we thank you. There's so many things in our life that are confusing and the enemy will try to use them, to twist them, to lead us away from you, God, or to believe lies about you, to believe that um, we can't depend on you. You're our tormentor and not our healer. Lord, I I pray that you would pierce through all those lies right now and, and that there would be those that would stand on the truth, that you're the only way, you are the path to life. And in you, Father God, we access redemption, new life, deliverance. God, I I pray over every person in this room right now and online that would admit and believe and choose today that you're the son of God, surrender their life to you, or that you would invade their heart, God, birth a, a whole new future in them, birth a forever that didn't exist until right now. And God, I pray that you would root them in the family. As we take communion, they would live in a state of communion, Father God, with their brothers and sisters in Christ and with you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.